be people smart, enabling organisations and individuals to be disability inclusive and accessible. Hello everyone and welcome to today's podcast episode. My name is Jodie Greer and I am the founder of Be People Smart. So season two is all about myth busting. So we're going to be dispelling myths right across the whole realm of disability inclusion and accessibility. And it's not just me. I've got wonderful guest speakers and today I am joined by the absolutely wonderful and extremely busy Amanda Newman. Um, so Amanda, can we just get an introduction to you, please? Hi, everybody. Really nice to be um, invited to talk to Jodie today. Um, I'm Amanda Newman. I'm a senior manager at Accenture. Um, through my long career, I've worked at Shell for 20 years and then at Microsoft, always in technology, which is an area I love working in. Um, I've got four children, so a 17-year-old boy, a 12-year-old girl, and then a lovely surprise that I had twins who are now just turned six, identical boys. Um, in my in my spare time, I also run a group which I set up when I was going through redundancy at Shell called The Careerman, which is on Facebook, um, and everybody's welcome to join. Brilliant, thank you. I did say you're busy, and um, <laughs> yeah, there's an awful lot going on in your life. Um, and today, the two myths that Amanda and I are going to be mainly um, discussing are that adjustments or accommodations, as you may find them um, in the workplace, are only for people with disabilities. And also that you would know if a member of your team needed an adjustment, because I hear this an awful lot. And we're going to be sharing a bit more on why this is absolutely a myth. Um, before we get to that, I just want to delve a little bit into your personal side, Amanda, um, yeah. because there's obviously a bit more of a personal reason that we're touching base on this subject. So do you want to share a little bit on that? Yes. Yeah, so um, almost this time last year, so last May, um, for about six months, I've been experiencing on and off pain in my breast and I had dismissed it. It wasn't cyclical, but it was just a, a kind of internal burning feeling because people asked me what the pain was like. Um, and my husband kept saying, are you going to get that checked out? Are you going to get that checked out? And I dismissed it, busy, you know, didn't think it was important. Um, one Monday morning, I didn't have any meetings till noon. And I thought, I'll just um, phone the doctors and see if I can get them to quickly check it. Um, I went to the doctors. There was nothing to feel, um, but I explained my symptoms and she said we've got a really low referral threshold let's just refer you to the breast clinic and you'll get an appointment within two weeks um, just under two weeks later I got a call to say I had an appointment at Macclesfield Breast Clinic I'm in the northwest um, and I was invited there they said the appointment would take two hours so I blocked two and a half hours in my diary to allow me to get there and get back my husband offered to come with me said don't be silly it's fine it'll just be in and out um, and then, and you can probably guess what's coming. So I ended up being there for six hours, lots of tests, including two biopsies, um, and to be told that 80% chance what they were seeing was breast cancer. Um, I then had a bit of a limbo really for a whole week where I didn't know what was going on. Um, I called my two immediate line managers as soon as I got home on the Friday, because I thought I won't be able to go into week next week. Never thought I'd be discussing my breasts with two male managers, but they were both very understanding. Um, 
and then I, I tried to just keep my head together for the following week. By the Wednesday, I'd convinced myself it was all a big mistake. I was absolutely fine. There was no problem. I went in to get the results on the Friday. Um, it was through COVID, so my husband could only come in for the actual appointment, couldn't wait with me in the waiting room. And you can imagine I'm sat there really nervous, um, sat with a mask on, and they told me I had uh, multifocal cancer all over my left breast, invasive and non-invasive, and um, I'd be needing a mastectomy. So that was really tough and um, I knew I was going to have to have some time out of work. I didn't know at that point whether the cancer had spread, whether it was in my lymph nodes, um, whether I would need chemotherapy or radiotherapy. Um, but I knew that there was some challenging months coming. Thank you for that. And thank you again for being so sort of open because it is quite personal and it makes a massive difference when people will share. Um, but yeah, it's still it's very personal for you. Um, the reason I partly wanted you to share initially is because previous to um, your illness, I was trying to think of the best yeah. term then, yeah. um, you didn't have any kind of adjustments in the workplace, did you? No, I no. I've always been um, a, a big advocate of diversity and inclusion. In fact, I lead areas of diversity and inclusion for Accenture. So I like to think I'm aware and sensitive to people's needs and, and having a diverse and inclusive workforce. But this has been a learning for me. Um, and I, I'm using my strength and confidence to try and be vocal and very transparent so that hopefully I give others who might be struggling because I can't imagine I'm alone. I mean, breast cancer alone, it's one in eight women. Um, and I, when I found out I had it, I, I looked around me through my history. There was one lady I admired who I knew had breast cancer and we worked together but I didn't know how she handled it I didn't know what to do next and how to inform my colleagues I'm very active at work and to suddenly disappear how would I um how would I tell them so I like to try and be a role model and give others a, a path that they might be able to follow should they be challenged I've got to say you are absolutely knocking that one out because being a role model is definitely something that you are doing so well um so mentioning obviously looking out you know for kind of support etc now I believe support networks are important all of the time but certainly when you're going through something unforeseen when you're going through ill health and so on what how's your support network been in work and you know outside even amazing I mean incredible so I decided um I waited a few weeks to get the full picture to understand when my surgery date would be, um, make sure I'd informed my children. So that was really hard. And, and the hardest was telling my 12 year old daughter. Um, there's a great book I use to tell my twins are called Mummy's Lump. And um, they still talk about it now and they're quite happy to shout in public as your lump gone now. Have you, have you got a nipple? Um, and I also emailed about 300 colleagues with a very open and transparent email that I'd been diagnosed with breast cancer. I was going to be out for some time. I did quote Brenny Brown, whom I'm a massive fan of, that if we have the courage to step into our vulnerability, then we can own the ending to our story. Um, and this, the response I got from my colleagues was just amazing and um, actually kept me going through some really hard months. Um, and I re would reread their replies. They sent me gifts, care packages. Um, I'd only been at Accenture at that point for 18 months. 
Um, and a year of that, I'd been in COVID lockdown. So I'd had six months of getting to know my colleagues face to face, and then we'd been in lockdown, and then I got breast cancer. So um, having been at Shell for so long, where people were like family, I realised that you can find that everywhere, and 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 people are so happy to see me back now at work. I just came back on the first of February, and I'm joined and rejoined on a phased approach. But they're so happy and so great to be back and part of it but yeah work for a, a tremendous support network um the career mum group that i run which has six thousand global members um and at times i didn't have the energy to admin that group i I'm, I'm generally very positive and optimistic and um give advice and support and there'd be times where i'd say i've got nothing to give and people would hold me up and support me and they were just amazing and tremendous and i'm so grateful for that community and of course my family and my friends at home um, all just really great support um, but I think I allowed that by being completely open and vulnerable. Thank you I think God, there's so many things we're taking from that one is that people can actually be literally amazing and it kind of restores your faith in humanity but two is and I hope you kind of it resonates with you how amazing you are in yourself because and I say that wholeheartedly because even when you sent that note to your colleagues you sent it with positivity you know the quote you used I think that would have blown me away if I was your colleague who received that but also even having the kind of courage and the forethought to have sent such a vulnerable and honest note to so many colleagues and as you say you hadn't actually known them that long um I think that's massive and I hope that some of those 300 people when they need it will feel that actually I can share that yeah. I'm in a vulnerable space exactly and and know that hopefully it's going to be okay um one day at a time and use your support network and trust people allow them to support you have that courage no definitely thank you for that and so kind of bouncing back into adjustments and you can tell us if there's anything else, but you just mentioned about a phase return. And I think often when people do think about workplace adjustments, you tend to find they may think a lot of the time about assistive technology, which, of course, is essential. So no question. And sometimes people will um, think about physical adjustments in your actual office space, for instance. But often the sort of I guess more human factors space of I don't know changing to working practices change to work location for instance just gets overlooked until there's an active conversation on it so that's kind of where you're sitting right now I guess yeah so we've we've got a brilliant company that's part of our health insurance program called working to well-being and um, and I reached out to them so in all honesty, I had my surgery as I was recovering from my surgery in September. I was getting mobile again um, because there was a period of time I couldn't walk. I had a reconstruction using my stomach to reconstruct a breast um, and it was re really rehabilitating. And so I was desperate to come back in September. I just wanted to get life back to normal. But I knew I had to start some medication in October. And my husband said, just give it some time and see how you get on with that. And he was right, because that really set me back it's it's a tough medication I'm finding it some people find it easy it's called tamoxifen some people find it hard I find it makes me quite exhausted as you can see I'm naturally very upbeat and positive makes me quite anxious a bit depressed um all feelings that are quite alien to me um and it's awful not feeling like yourself isn't it so um 
in the November, I knew I was going to have to take some approach to get me back to work because I really needed it, but it wasn't going to be the same person that I was before. And so um, I approached Working to Wellbeing to say I was ready to start those discussions. And they worked with me over time to develop a phased return plan. And honestly, it started on the 1st of February with two hours on a Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And I almost scoffed at it when she told me that. I thought it's pointless. You know, that's, that's, I can't do anything in that time. What's the point? But, but they were right and they're experienced in these things. Um, and I gradually built up half an hour every week. I started last week on a Tuesday and Thursday as well, and I'm still building up half an hour every week. Um, and their analogy is that when you've been through illness, if you, it's like a balloon. And if you try and inflate it too fast to get back to normal, then it'll pop. But if you can slowly inflate it bit by bit, then you're going to get a much bigger, stronger balloon and it won't pop. So the goal is to not let me pop and to get me back to normal in a steady, structured approach. And work have been really supportive of it. I'm loving their analogy and I've got to say I'm stealing that one. That one's definitely yeah, going to get you. It. <laughs> no, it's really good. And I'm hoping, you know, when the listeners hear all of this, it also helps them. So from an organisational perspective, it helps people to resonate that, you know, the positivity of a lot of these adjustments that get made, but also from an individual one, that actually it's okay. And hopefully within your company culture, it is okay. And if not, you know, that's where support comes in because you need to engage with someone because if you can't physically or emotionally carry out your work day as you have done in the past, well, you'll pop. Exactly. And working to wellbeing have um, company engagements. So we have a employer and me and them meeting where we outline the schedule. They say why it's needed from their experience and why and what support um, my line manager and my team need to give me. Even down to can you make sure, you know, Amanda's got brain fog now and um, and can be forgetful. So can you make sure there's always a follow up from meetings with actions documented? Um, we make sure everything's in the diary that needs to be, you know, don't assume that actions will be followed up if they've not been documented, that kind of thing. S- silly little things that you might not expect. Um, and I'm, I'm gradually, I'm hoping by 1st of May, I'm going to be full time, but I still get really tired. So I'm very open now with my colleagues. I've just started a new project. Um, I've told them my background. I've said I just want to crack on and keep going. But sometimes in an afternoon, I might need to sleep. And they've said, oh, that's fine. You know, just go and take what you need. Um, uh, and if I'm in the office, then we've got a quiet room that I can go and have a rest in. And obviously, if I'm at home, then it, then it's easy. Um, I haven't yet done any travel. I'm not being pushed to travel because I think uh, a working day, I have travelled into Manchester, which is about half an hour from my home, but not up to Newcastle where my colleagues are or down to London. Because I think a working day as well as travelling, even just discussions can be tiring. And these are new new things for me. And, and I recognise that some people are managing this every day of their life. And that must be hard. And I'd like to think we can offer better support. Yeah, thank you. Again, as you speak, so many things whiz around my head and then I have to try and compute them into an actual conversation. Um, I think there were some little um, elements there that you talked about as, you know, silly little things that people can kind of do and say, etc. But I think that also made me think how important behaviour is to inclusion. And sometimes it is the small things we can do that we don't even realise we're making a difference. But by literally being more human centric, you really can improve culture and make people feel so much more included and like that can actually open up and share with what they're needed. 
Yeah. And obviously, when I went off, we were still in COVID. So since I've returned, um, we're just getting people back to the office. So our return to office plans are in full swing. Um, and so I put an, a message on our team site to say, some people haven't met me. I'm Amanda. I've just returned from having breast cancer. And I want to get more social and, and let's make sure when I come in on a Wednesday, if you want to put some time on my diary, let's get a coffee and meet each other. Because there's a big office in Manchester and um, a lot of people did that. Um, and a lot of people have, have been coming into the office, but not had a reason to do that. I think everyone wants to support me. And so if you have something that's making you feel vulnerable, share it, talk to people. Thank you. And I know sometimes, you know, for some people it is very uncomfortable or there's a you know, a concern about what the responses could be. But I'd love to be able to help more and more companies build the culture that evidently you have at Accenture. I'm actually really impressed because you can probably imagine in my line of work, I do come across some of the opposites. Yeah. So it's, it's lovely to um, hear about companies that are, you know, striving to get it right. Um, also, you mentioned, obviously, some people have to do this every day of their lives. And I think that's another really important aspect is that, there's a lot of people who have hidden disabilities or long term health conditions who do need adjustments. And again, it's about not only having the confidence to ask for them, but it really is, again, down to that cultural piece of making that OK. Yeah, and, and I'm hoping by, you know, th this might be I think when I spoke to you before, you called it maybe a transient disability, but it, it's a it's a temporary disability that I've got and hopefully it will improve over time but that me having the courage to talk about it I'm hoping it will help others have the courage I you know I don't start work till 10 o'clock which gives me time I think if I was rushing for a nine o'clock start I would get quite anxious and a bit overwhelmed and it would just be too much so whilst I'm doing my phase return I don't start till 10 and, and I might ask to continue that a bit longer because it's making me start the day right and relaxed and um you know, if that was an accommodation that people needed to help them feel better about going to work, then what's an hour in the day, you know? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, I even know some people who, because of um, different mental health conditions and the medication they take, mornings are a real challenge for them. Yeah. So literally starting work an hour or so later makes all the difference to their productivity and their capability to, you know, completely fulfil their roles. Exactly. Now, all this, yeah, it's, it's just really great sharing. And I, I weren't going to share another myth today, but it's also just bringing to my mind again, because I see this an awful lot, the way people often say to me, but nobody in my team has a disability, especially when we're talking about adjustments. Mm -hmm. So two things. One, of course, they're not visible a lot of the time, actually, probably most of the time, but also whether someone need, needs an adjustment today and whether they do tomorrow or next week can be very, very different. And you're literally walking proof of that. Exactly. You know, I, I feel different every day. Today, I feel great. feel fine. Don't know how it feel on Monday. So, yeah, um, it, it's it's not necessarily a constant, is it? And so maybe we need to do some sensing every day. Is everybody happy? Is there anything you need? Does anybody need any adjustments to the working day? And I know it's hard when we're all under deadline and work pressure. But like you said, if we're really, truly human centric and want to create that sense of community and belonging for people to be happy in their work, then we need to consider the whole person. Yeah, definitely. And actually, just on that, something I just wanted to flag because we've been talking about breast cancer and we've been talking about it's OK um, to sort of share your needs, etc. Um, something I 
get made aware of, I wouldn't say often, but it's come up a few times, is something like breast cancer is often thought of as very, very much a female illness. And so men do get breast cancer. Yeah. You're probably two percent. Yeah. So go ahead. I think two percent of breast cancer cases are men, so definitely, yeah. Yeah. So I mean it's still fairly significant in a sense of numbers, but also at the end of the day, it's the same um significance in a sense of how it can impact their actual health. Mm. And it's also so much more of a stigma to often share the fact that you've got breast cancer as a man because they're breasts and you know that's a female thing yeah well and, and I know and I, I hope if there was a man with breast cancer you wouldn't feel any shame it's just a body part yeah exactly. men and women both have them and um yeah there's it, it's just a unfortunate and inconvenient and hopefully they'd get they'd get better it's actually you know the what, what I was repeatedly told when I was told I had breast cancer is um, it's the best form of cancer to get because it's highly curable. And so I was reassured that from the very beginning. And obviously you have all sorts of bad thoughts and, and doubt that you're going to be one of those success stories. But here I am today and touch wood for, for many more years into being an old lady to, to tell my story. Definitely. And the world is a much better place having you in it as oh, well. So I like to ask this question of our guests because it always brings up such different thoughts. But for you, if you could wave a magic wand and magically change the culture in every company in just one way, how would you change it? I would love um, people to be able to those little that cloud of worry or anxiety that people sometimes carry around with them. I'd like us to just be able to talk about it, put it out there, no judgment, get support and encouragement back and um, and, and maybe overcome it. That's what I would love. And, and that's what I hope I can share. I was in a meeting with a colleague the other day and I'd worn an under, underwire bra for the first time. And I said to him, oh, my boobs really hurting. And, he, and then I thought, I think I'm, I'm so used to discussing my boobs. I think I might have overshared he was great he just went oh did you bring a did you bring a different bra in can you change your bra and I was like no I didn't but thank you for your understanding and I'm sorry if I made you uncomfortable but um yeah we should be able to just talk we're, we're just people as humans it's just our body talk about what's worrying you and, and I would hope you'd get a good response love that and hopefully this is not only going to help people to feel that they could could be more open with other human beings but it's also going to help people with how they can respond because I can imagine for instance you could have sat with another man who does have good intentions but you mentioned a bra you know that's that's women's underwear what what do I do with that (laughs) I know I know could have and I probably knew that um my colleague was going to respond well and I felt safe to do that so you do have to judge your environment unfortunately but I'd like us to be in a world where everybody has a good response and talking of responses, um, something that we spoke about was about how you would like people to feel um, when they are confided in. Yeah, so um, obviously, if somebody confide, confides in you, then it's a gift that they're, they're, they're being really vulnerable and it's very brave that they're confiding in you. So embrace that and, and respect their um, courage, really. 
and be supportive. I think if you're not, and if if you can't be supportive, that's really terrible because somebody's been so brave there with you. Um, and if you don't know how to handle it, then get some support for you as well. But try your best to to help them and and put your arm around them if need be, and and support them. I really love that. I love the whole it's a gift because I think it's so true. If someone kind of chooses you to kind of be their confidant in what could be a a time of real challenge and anguish even I think that that's massive so yeah being so receptive and accepting that as it's intended is is just brilliant and I'd love to think that that's exactly how I would be um and I do genuinely appreciate it when people share with me and working in disability for so long Lots of the times people have come to me first before they've shared with anyone else in their workplace. And I do appreciate that. Oh, so, Sorry, go ahead. Yeah, I, I, I think you're right. It, you know, it's a real privilege, isn't it, to be let into somebody's real worries and concerns. Yeah, no, definitely. It is an absolute privilege. And so that comes, you know, you were just talking about people about sharing their own diagnosis, etc. But particularly in the workplace, unfortunately, we don't actually see that many Amandas. <laughs> so if if people are really uncomfortable sharing, but it would make the world a difference, even if they're aware it will make the world a difference, if they do share, what would you suggest? Like, who could they kind of start with? I mean, we've all got our kind of inner circle at work of people we trust, maybe go for coffees with. Um, start with those people that don't make you feel quite so vulnerable. Um, and then see how that goes. And if and if that goes well, then widen your circle a bit and do it slowly. You don't have to do a big email to 300 people. I mean, I was I was really confident that I was going to get a good response to that. I didn't, you know, I, I could not imagine anything other than a positive response. But um, if you're worried and I recognise we're not all in such great work environments, then start with your inner circle and expand out as as you get feedback. Thank you for that. And on that point, then, when you did send that email, because honestly, this email, I won't spend the next half an hour talking about it, but that email just really intrigued me because was it more so a bit of an Amandaism or was it more so that you'd already worked at Accenture, had that kind of culture that it was OK to send that note? Um, probably both, actually, because. Um, well, Funnily enough, I didn't I, I just disappeared from work. I was active and busy on the Friday and then I was logged off. So I thought it's going to cause a lot of concern for people. People are just and, they'll, and then people will start gossiping and they might start to make their own story up of what's happened to me. And I'm um, a big advocate of a good communication strategy. I'm a project manager and um, if you want to control what people hear, then you need to communicate that yourself. So I wanted people to hear the facts directly from me um, in a controlled manner and make sure everybody hears it at the same time and um, they all hear the truth. And so that's why I did it in the first place. Yeah, no, I just, I've got to be honest, I don't know if I would have your courage to do it, but I'd love to be able to be that person. I hope you would, yeah, I hope you would. <laughs> So I need a bit more of Amandaism in me. Um, so you're sharing all of this stuff. You're doing some oh, just amazing work by literally empowering other people, which is huge. And it's what a lot of us are striving to do. But, you know, 
you're really walking the talk. Um, other than some of your direct messages you share yourself, and hopefully from this episode today, of course, what other direct positive impact have you, you know, found your stories had for other people? Um, well, I hope it's allowed people to other people to be vulnerable. So I've, I've seen quite a few of my colleagues sharing things on LinkedIn of their own journeys. Um, and I hope it's it's a lot. And especially as I return to work, it might it might encourage people to think more about the daily accommodations that other people might need. So I've just joined a new team um, and. I shared that I was going to have to have a sleep in the afternoon and then my new manager shared something about himself that was personal um, and and that made makes him uh, more neurodivergent and so um, I don't think he would have shared that in the first phone call if I hadn't have been so open but it really helps me to know that information um, so yeah I think we just got to live this every day it's not something that one email will crack but you've got to continue to be brave and transparent I think that that just shows real impact right there. Um, and when we spoke before, you did actually mention someone you knew when to have her own breast checked following your diagnosis and your story. Yeah, I mean, in, in the career mum group, a few ladies went to get their breast checked. I think one found early stage cancer. So um, and there's probably more, I would think, than I, than I could know across LinkedIn and the career mum Facebook group. Um, and sadly, some of those will have breast cancer, but hopefully I've helped them find it early because a lot of people don't associate breast pain with breast cancer. You're told it's not painful. Um, I think what actually got me referred and I didn't realise until a few weeks later when I was looking at my breast myself because I didn't have a lump because the lumps were towards the chest wall. Um, my nipple went slightly inverted when I raised my arm. And so I suspect the doctor had seen that when she was checking me and then did the referral. But I, I've spoken to some women who um, have had pain and been and been dismissed by the GP. And if you're in the UK, I believe you have a right to say, no, I want to be referred to a breast clinic if you really are worried and just trust your intuition. I knew something wasn't right. I never imagined it was breast cancer. I've got to say, that's another really powerful message. And for me personally, so as a woman, I genuinely always believed if it was something to worry about, it wouldn't hurt. So, you know, if it's breast cancer, you won't feel it. And you'll know if you have, because if you check for lumps, you'll find a lump. And then that's when you know that there could be an issue. So all of this stuff is, is you know, for awareness is yeah. just amazing and quite literally life saving. So thank you from me personally, as well as I'm sure lots of women out there. And me. Yeah. <laughs> um, so I just want to get a final message from you. What is your core message you'd really love our reader and our listeners even to take away today? Be brave. You know, um, there's nothing to be ashamed of. Absolutely nothing to be ashamed of. We all have our own journeys and our own vulnerabilities and our own insecurities. Um, and asking for help is actually brave and courageous. So if you need help, then ask. Thank you so much. So, yeah, I just a massive thank you from me for your time today, but also for sharing your own vulnerabilities. And it's, it's ironic because it's so personal, but you don't come across as vulnerable at all. You just seem so empowering, which I hope is really going to 
you know, rub off and get some people to sort of get the confidence and also rub off on organisations to improve their culture where it's needed. Um, so, yeah, all I can say is a huge thank you to you, Amanda. And I really hope that this episode is going to help a lot of people. Thanks, Jodie, for inviting me. So thank you, everyone, for listening today. I really hope that is helpful. Um, share your views. Let us know and let us know how it's helped. I'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to this podcast and we really hope you enjoyed it. We'd love to hear your feedback, so please do get in touch. And don't forget to subscribe so you don't miss out on the other wonderful guest speakers we have lined up.